there's something going on in our world. And we're going to know what Jesus says about it. We're talking about facts, we're going to talk about faith, and we're going to talk about fear. What is fear? Fear is a distressing emotion of something that has not happened yet. Fear of all is always of impending danger. If it's happened, you're not afraid of it anymore. You know what I'm talking about? And so fear is a distressing emotion of something that has not happened yet. So there's some facts. We need to know the facts. And something that needs to be that needs to be brought forth is there is is we need to be a people not driven by emotion, not driven by fad, not driven by feelings, but by facts. Facts. Fat, faith and facts are what determine our future. So I'm just going to run through some basic facts about this virus. And then we're going to talk about faith in light of it. Coronavirus comes from a, a family of viruses that cause the common cold. Viruses, there's other COVID viruses out there. SARS would be one of them. Another one would be MERS. This idea, I'm gonna, a lot of my references will be cited. You'll see the citation underneath it. So you know I'm just not making this up. The idea of when someone gets coronavirus, coronavirus is, uh, can be deadly for vulnerable parts of our population. But for the majority, not, not at all. Most experience only mild symptoms. They don't tell you that. The recovery rate is typically 12 days. There's a study by scientists in Munich. Again, this comes from the Annals of Internal Medicine. This was just released. It's one of the first outside of China to take clinical data from patients who have been diagnosed with COVID-19. This study noted that people who were infected begin to develop antibodies within their body very quickly, typically within 6 to 12 days. The rapid rise of the body's antibodies explains why 80% of the people who are infected never develop serious illness. That's a fact. This study, people are talking about like half the world is going to die. Who told you that? The facts do not support that. There's a, there's a, there's a media-driven culture that thrives in crisis. I'm not telling you to not be wise. I'm not telling you to not be smart. I'm not telling you to just, you know, to, 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 to do any of this stuff. But there's something that's driven in crisis. Crisis is good for ratings. I don't know if you know that. We have Christians that are sitting in front of the TV for four hours a day but can't crack their Bible. I mean, we have a problem. I mean, we're listening to a message that's being dictated to you, and it's not the message of the Lord. I'm going to tell you that for sure. And again, people disagree with me. I have lots of Christians that disagree with me. However, I believe I have the Holy Spirit. The study also noted that the virus was not transmutable after eight days. In other words, the person who still has the virus and is on the road to recovery is still is not transmitting it after eight days. This is a fact. Current testing methods can indicate whether the person is shedding antiviral material, but cannot determine whether the person is infectious. So basically, our testing shows whether you have it, but can't tell you if you're if 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 it's being spread around. The symptoms of the virus are flu-like. The consensus. This will be, you'll see, this will end up happening. The consensus on this virus, everybody's saying all these things. They don't have the data, and most people won't tell you the data. But we live in a world where everybody speculates. Our news media loves to speculate. No facts, pure speculation. That's the problem. Our problem is, is it's like the equivalent of yelling fire in a movie theater. You know, we, we, we need to approach this stuff with calm. I'm going to show you some stuff, some statistics. And you're, you're going it's, to, it's, again, this isn't, this isn't fantasy. This is facts. The consensus, I've been spending my whole week reading. I'm not watching CNN. I've been reading papers on this and radical journals and who's this guy saying and what's happening here with this and not listening to the hype and the hysteria. <laughs> There's a lot of hype and hysteria. And they love the hype and the hysteria. But let's, what, what are the facts? The consensus is, is that the rate of transmission when all is said and done, will be equal or slightly higher than the flu. So I'm telling you, when all this is resolved, they're saying, oh, it's 10 times more transmittable than the flu. Well, that, that's based on a very limited amount of data. I mean, the flu is common cold stuff, stuff like that. And again, I'm simply giving you facts. You can deal with them as you will. The mortality rate per 100,000, this is, again, projected, a consensus projection. They're not saying this right now, but the consensus is that it will be equal in the end to the flu virus. In other words, it's not going to be any more deadly than the flu, you know? So let's ask this question. How does the coronavirus compare? Now, this is some good stuff. 
Every year. Say it with me. Every year. 350 million people on the earth get the flu virus. Every single year. 350 million people. Anybody here had the flu? Right. The flu is the flu is the same thing. It's deadly to vulnerable parts of our population. It is. However, it's not deadly to everyone. 350 people are infected by the flu each year. Approximately 650,000 human beings die of the flu virus on the earth every year. So in case you didn't get that, 350 million people get the flu. 650,000 people die every single year of the flu. In our country, 2018, 31 million cases of the flu virus resulting in, in what? 61,000 deaths. Where do we get this information? World Health Organization. At current, these odds, these numbers have changed slightly, but still the, the, the numbers are nowhere near what we deal with all the time. At current, there are 273,000 cases of coronavirus worldwide. Well, it's not like the flu. They, they, they don't know this stuff. Again, I'll just give you the facts. I'll stick to the facts. Approximately 13,000 people have died at this point. This data's a little old. There's 20,000 cases in the United States, and about 350 people have died thus far. We have 61,000 Americans die every year of the flu virus, and we, we shut down our country as a result of 350 people dying. A little bit of an overreaction, wouldn't you say? A little bit of a panic? We have all the reasons for it. There's a new strain of flu virus. There's four strains of influenza. And the influenza virus, do, do we shut the country down every time there's a new influenza virus? I mean, is this what we're going to do? Is this the new habit? It's a little bit of an overreach. I'm just trying to give you facts, just something for you to consider. You might say that I'm, I'm diminishing it. Okay, well, I think that if I diminish it, it needs to be diminished because people are so extreme on the other end. We need to find some balance in between on this. This, 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 this has, there has to be a balance here. And we are basically, do, and what we need to do, the biggest problem is the driving force of the media. We can't even get rational voices out. If anybody says anything rational, the media takes it and spins with it. And they want to talk to you about the carnage in the streets. Well, let's talk about the carnage in the streets. 647,000 people every year die, in this, die of a heart attack in our country. 599,108 people will die of cancer this year alone. 170,000 people will die in accidents. And they say it's irresponsible to send people to, to work with the potential of the coronavirus. It's irresponsible to tell people to get in their car and go to work when 170,000, your likelihood of dying in the coronavirus is, or in a car accident is three to four times higher than this. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's all, I, again, I can already hear the arguments coming at me. I get it. So just consider a balancing point. Consider, consider another, another point. Consider a spectrum outside that which you, maybe is being said to you. 160,201 people will die of emphysema and asthma from smoking or some asthma-related condition. 160,000. We're not even near that. 160, uh, 148,383 people will die of a stroke. 121,404 people will die of Alzheimer's. 85,564 will die of diabetes. And here's where influenza comes in, number eight. Influenza, 55,672 people will die of influenza, all strains. That's not one strain, that's all strains. All strains of influenza, this is the result of the death toll. 50,633 people will die of kidney failure. This one should really concern us. 47,173 of our fellow citizens this year will take their own life. 50,000 people... If you can equate these numbers, I don't know if this means anything to you, but if you can equate the rationale with what's actually going on. We have 50,000 people who will end their life in hopelessness. That should matter to the church. That should really matter to us. We have Christian evangelists for the coronavirus. They haven't talked about Jesus in 20 years, but by God, they've got an opinion on this virus. They're telling everybody what to do, when to do it, how to do it, why they shouldn't do it. I get lectures, I get speeches. I'm like, look, I don't tell people to come, but I will be faithful in my office. I will not be found. I will not leave my post. I will be found in the position where God has placed me. Come hell or high water, I will be found faithful. I'll preach the gospel to the walls and to empty chairs if I have to. 
wheel me in on a gurney and put me in a wheelchair, but I will be found faithful. Period. Will Jesus find faith on the earth? Well, with me, he will. As for me and my house, I stand in faith. (laughs) Whose report do you believe? That's right. 41,173 people will die of liver disease. 40,922 will die of infections, including septic shock, blood infections in particular. Here's one. 33,316 will die of hypertension. I'm sure that number will go up. A lot of people are going to die of hypertension over everything that's going on with coronavirus. What happened? Did coronavirus get him? No, hypertension, man. What's the collateral damage from all this? How many people will die of heart disease because of this? Because of the shock and the fear that comes upon them. Men's hearts failing for fear. Where are we going to measure that statistic? Just saying. Economies lost, wealth lost, families lost, homes lost, cars lost, jobs lost. What's, what's the collateral damage of all of that? Do we measure that statistic? It's 350 people in light of all of that? I mean, I, I get it. I understand it. 31,963 will die of Parkinson's. <laughs> At this point, you got a better chance of choking or drowning. 20,108 people will be choked and drowned this year. And this is probably 16 or 17 on the list at this current time. 16,214 murders. We have states shutting down because 20 people have died. My question is, how many people are murdered in your state? How many people? How many people are raped in your state? And you do nothing. You speak not a word. But by God, when the cameras are on, I mean, I'm just trying to get you to have some perspective here. Somebody has to have perspective. Sixteen thousand people murdered. Where's their voice? We're shutting down the east end of the city because we've had too many murders. We're shutting down Chicago. Why don't we do that? Over murder. Try that one on. Of course not. Because it doesn't make the headlines. Because we're too acclimated to the word murder. We're too acclimated to, to that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't do anything for us. It doesn't do anything. If we said the influenza virus will kill 100,000 people, it'll be the worst season on record. You know what most people will do? They'd shrug it off and go to work. I'm telling you now. That because we're so used to that conversation. We're used to it. If we said 50 people will be murdered in your proximity within five miles, you know what you'd do? You'd shrug it off and go about your everyday life. Again, my, my statement here is facts and perspective. That's all I'm trying to say. There's no cure for the virus at this time, just like there's no cure for the common cold. So if you contract this virus, most have mild symptoms. If you have it and you have pre-existing conditions and you have severe respiratory issues, you, you could go to the hospital and they'll put you on a ventilator. But if you have it and you're like any, anybody that ends up getting it, just like the common cold and just like the flu, they're sending you home. You know what they're doing? They're giving you some NyQuil or they're going to prescribe something to you, tell you to sit in your room, drink plenty of fluids, watch Netflix, or take a long nap. That's pretty much all they're doing because that's all they can do. There's no cure. There's no vaccine. There's nothing. What do we do? A country boy can't survive. We, we, you know, I mean, it's like, I was talking to Alex. I said, is this a big deal in India? He said, most people don't care. You know why? They got bigger problems. Americans and Western Europeans, we're used to having our butt pampered a little bit. And as soon as anything touches on something that's inconvenient for us, oh my gosh. Again, perspective. The treatment is rest pain, Marcus was telling me. And you know what else? This is an interesting narrative. They won't tell anybody heard this one. Some of you know it, but some of you know it by default. But is the media saying this? Did you know this? UV light kills the virus. Ultraviolet light kills the virus. Did they tell anybody heard that in your six hours of watching the news? Has CNN told you that? Has MSNBC or any of these leftist networks? Have they know leftist? Oh, oh, oh. But they're not telling you the truth, Christian. Woe to those who suppress the knowledge, suppress truth and unrighteousness. You know where we live in the sunshine state. You know where UV light comes from? The sun. Marcus was telling me one of the training, some of the training he had would tell people with those types of viruses, put them in the, put them in the sun for 30 minutes, go in the sun for 30 minutes a day. You heard that? Hey, everybody, go outside and get some sunshine for 30 days that they told for 30 minutes a day. And the UV light and the vitamin K will come into your skin and will move, but it doesn't fit the globalist narrative. 
You have to understand something. There's a globalist narrative that wants to tell you that the sky is falling. They want to tell you that the ozone is gone and the earth is being bombarded by UV rays. And because of those UV rays, all of his harm is coming. Yes, UV rays are harmful. However, so so are diseases and sickness and viruses. Sin brings the virus into the earth. God, in his wisdom and his compassion for mankind, but you see, the globalists don't think like this. And you as a Christian cannot, you have to think as your father thinks. And you have to think from the heaven to earth, and you have to think from God's goodness. If you are not thinking from God's goodness, you are off. All of your thinking is wrong. If you do not believe with this cornerstone that God is good, every, no matter what you believe from there forward, will be skewed. 100%. The cornerstone of all of our thinking is God is good. So God in his goodness, knowing that man has fallen, knowing that systems will be corrupted, knowing that all of this stuff is going to happen, knowing that viral infections will come into the earth, he alters the earth. In the flood of Noah, the earth was altered. The water canopy was removed. The waters from the heavens released. The fountains of the deep released. All of that. But there were the vapor canopy that protected the earth was removed. And now UV rays penetrate the earth. Whereas before, UV rays didn't. Why would he do that? UV rays degrade our bodies. That's true. But UV rays destroy, destroy bacteria. In a merciful act, God allows this. But we, don't th- we, we wouldn't consider that. And they're not going to tell you, hey, one of the best things you can do is go out in the sun for 30 minutes. You know what else? Breathe fresh air. Breathe. They say fresh air um, dehydrates the virus. Are they telling you that? They're telling you that. Why? Because again, it doesn't fit the narrative. My point to you, Christian, is facts over fear. Facts and faith over fear. We're supposed to be smart. We're supposed to be wise. We're supposed to know things. We don't. We don't follow a culture. We, we don't follow the culture. The reaction of the church on this has been extraordinarily dull. <laughs> We're going to make changes here at Elevate. And by God, there's been 33 national and international disasters in 20 years. In other words, it's going to happen. Something's going to happen again. We're going to make changes and we will be a voice in these moments. This is a time for the church to rise. This is a time for the church to speak. This is it. And what are we doing? We're cowering in our living rooms, sending tweets. How irresponsible. You having a service that's so irresponsible, putting lives at risk. I get tweets. I get people sending me messages like that. I'm like, I'm not asking you to come. We love you. I'm not asking anybody to come. That's not what we're doing. Then say, hey, everybody come or Jesus doesn't love you. You're going to get a ward on your nose. I'm not saying that. But again, I obey the Lord. I do what he asked me to do. I stand for what he asked me to do. The last thing the Christian should be showing in this hour is fear. Are you kidding me? Are we the light of the world or the salt of the earth? Is that what we are or are we not? What we do, I'll tell you, I felt like I was praying and I was asking the Lord because I'm listening to some of these pastors. And as I start listening to them, it starts influencing me. And I start thinking, well, maybe, maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe I shouldn't go that way. Maybe I should do what the consensus opinion is telling me. And I asked the Lord, and I feel like, and I, I talked to my wife, I said, I, I feel like the Lord is telling me to do it. And she's like, we'll just talk to a few people from earth, to, from the church. And I talked to, I talked, we talked to a few people from the earth, and everybody's like, do it. You know, people that we respect, that we know wouldn't have a problem telling me no. You know, if they, if they truly felt that way, doesn't mean I'll agree with them, but at least we have, the, we, at least, and so we, we go for it. But as we were doing that, I, I felt myself being influenced, and I asked the Lord, and I felt like the Lord was showing me stuff, and I saw parrots. I literally saw parrots parroting the voice of a culture. That's what I saw. I saw parrots, like, like little green parrots. I don't know what they're called. South American parrots. Not the big blue macaws, but the little green ones. And the Lord says to me, you are not a parrot of the culture. You are a messenger of the king. So he told me. You are not to parrot a message of the culture. You're to herald the message of the king. And the church is, well, well, CNN says this, MSNBC, this is the responsible thing to do. What does the Holy Spirit want from us in this hour? Does he want us all in our bedrooms, on our laptops, shivering and shuddering like the rest of the world on Facebook Live? I'm just here struggling for the coronavirus. I call them coronavirus evangelists, man. Christians out there telling it, haven't told anybody about Jesus. By God, they'll tell you about that, man. Watching the news for four hours, can't crack their Bible. What's the problem? 
I think you need to examine something a little bit more than my motivations. You know, rather than looking at the motivations of Elevate Miami Church, you should look at your motivations and why you're glued to the tube so long and you can't crack your Bible. Oh, here, how responsible the church having a prayer meeting on Saturday morning. Dang right we did. We have a prayer meeting. I shared this first service. We know where hospitals come from. Anybody here know where hospitals actually come from, where the idea, the concept comes from? It comes out of the concept of the Black Plague. The Black Plague during the time of Constantine. you know who started hospitals? Anybody know? Christians. Do you know why? Because when the world was running away from the plague, the Christians were running into it. They were standing when everybody else was fleeing and everybody else and the government and the leaders had abandoned the people to their faith. The believer went in and said, these lives matter. Can I get a witness? And they began, they began to see that they were dealing with people in mass, that they had problems, that this wasn't a onesie twosie. We have like 50 people here. What are we going to do? Let's start a clinic where we can put them all together and we can manage the care better. That's where the modern hospital came from. It didn't come from a government. It didn't come from the mind of some institution, a dictator. They didn't come up with this idea. That's why most of our hospitals in this country are called what? Holy Cross, Bethesda, St. Mary's, right? Christ the Savior. You know, I mean, there's all that. Why is that? Because governments didn't start Baptist health. How is the, I don't understand why the government would let a hospital have a name like Baptist. Because the government didn't start it started by believers. And you know whose resources they used? Their own. They were not getting, there was no such thing as a health care plan. The church was the health care plan. The gospel, the people of God pooling money, putting resources together and establishing a beacon of hope to the world. Where have we gone? Where have we gone? Where are we now? Well, <laughs> I feel like an outsider. I'm like, that's all right. That's all right. That's all right. Everybody say good news. This will pass. I don't think I need to tell you to sanitize yourself. I think you're well-versed in that. (laughs) Our hope for you is firm because we know. Hope comes from what you know, Christian. Not what you're told, but what you know. We know what gives us hope. Not everything you hear is true. Can I get a witness? We have a modern media driven by agenda. Driven by agenda, not truth. Driven not by facts, but by fantasy. When Katrina happened, they were reporting that dead bodies were floating down the street. There was no such thing. Anybody remember that story? That story was completely false. It was a complete lie. Yet the guy that reported that still on the news today. I just witnessed three dead bodies go floating by me. There was no dead bodies floating by him. There's 10,000 people dead inside the arena. Remember that? Anybody remember that story when Katrina happened? There's thousands of bodies dead inside the Saints football stadium. There wasn't one dead body inside the Saints. This is what we do. 50% of America could be dead by this time next year. And again, looking at this in a wise thing, if we're six months into this thing and we look at this like we, like we are, and there's 10 million people dead, well, we might want to we might we might want to hit pause on that one. But if we're seeing what we what we see every single time, I mean, it's, again, it's just wisdom. The gullible believe anything. I'll let that marinate. They are told everything that they are told, but the prudent and the wise sift and weigh the facts. Proverbs fourteen five. Gullible people believe anything. Do you, are you gullible? Do we have the spirit of wisdom or do we not? We're to base our decisions on, on all these things. Fake, fact, news, fallacies, feelings, all that stuff. A foolish person doesn't care about the facts. All they want to do is yell. Proverbs 18.2. You need to Twitter that one. That's all you got. People that don't care about the facts. All they want to do is yell. Facts don't matter. Facts don't matter. I guarantee you people, if they, 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 they shout me down. Those facts don't matter. Those facts don't matter. Oh! This is the, we need to be aware of the culture in which we live in. 
We are to be a different voice, a different posture, a different attitude, and we are to stand firm in the things that we know and we believe. We are lights in darkness, cities on hills, salts in the earth. If the salt will not be salty, it is thrown out and walked on. Let me put it in modern terms. Common. Common. Salt often comes from gypsum mines. Gypsum was the common thing that they would plaster households with. If the salt was mixed too intimately with the gypsum, it had no flavor and they would throw it on the road. Think about that. What are you mixed with? What do you mix with? Does it take away your savor? Does it make you pasty? You don't have any sting. You don't have any salt. You don't have any flavor. You don't have any abundance. You don't have anything that brightens the eyes. That's what salt does. Brightens the eyes. You eat common food, you put salt on it, and it brightens the eyes. It brightens the flavor. It brings a new perspective to what you're eating. That's what we are. We're to bring a different perspective. We're to bring a different attitude. We're to bring something different. I'm going to tell you now. In the 20th century, the church rose not because of denominational pastors and churches. The church rose and changed a culture and a city by born-again, spirit-filled believers. I'm not going to... Don't tell me that. No, don't tell Kevin that. Don't. 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 Not going there. We need it. (laughs) Who's saying please? Oh, Joe? Joe's saying please. I'll see if I can prophesy it. I believe when the church rises to her true state, when we understand that we are spiritual or we are nothing at all, when we rise to our true state, we'll change the world again in our generation. We cannot live on the manner of a preceding generation. We cannot live on the manner of a preceding era. We must come to our rightful place. You can trace it. You can trace it. There's a guy who does church, he does church, study of church movement, how the gospel impacts and how the gospel puts its footprints on nations. And he said the most dominant influence is charismatic, born-again, spirit-filled believers. That is the dominant influence that imprints the gospel on the nations. That is the dominant influence that will imprint the gospel on our generation. It will not come through denominations. It will not come through skinny jeans and smoke machines. I'm all for it. I like skinny jeans and Jesus give us some smoke machines. But we better have some a little bit more than that. We better have something a little bit more than a fish tank in the lobby. We are born again believers filled with the spirit and the power of God. We do not reflect the world back another version of their culture. That's not what we're supposed to do. Here's a better version of your culture. That's what the church does. We take their culture and then we package it, dress it up, put a bow on it and say, here's a better version of it. We don't reflect another version of the culture. We reflect the kingdom culture and we summon the people unto the king. What does that look like? It looks like love. It looks like compassion. It looks like all the values of the kingdom. It looks like power. That's what it looks like. It looks like all of those things. We have to reinterpret these things. But what we're doing is we're denying power. And the only thing, the only substance we're able to present is a better version of what they see. That's all we're doing. And most of the Christians that acclimate into those environments never truly transform or come unto discipleship. That's it. I'm going to tell you one statistics. I got statistics. I study church planting. I'm extremely versed on that subject. We want to go there. I'll go there. Major church in Chicago for 30 years, seeker sensitive movement, everything you want. You want bells and whistles? We'll give you bells and whistles. You want skinny jeans and smoke machines? Have we got that for you? You want lights, camera, action? We'll give you so many neon lights and so many LCD lights that it'll blind you when you come in. It'll be a laser light show shooting over you at every moment. You want warm chairs in the front that vibrate with recliners, special guest parking, shuttles to take you in and out so that you're just comfort and ease every step of the way? We got you. Spent 30 years doing that ministry. They did an analysis, a discipleship analysis, a basic discipleship analysis among the congregation. They found that over 75% of them couldn't answer basic discipleship questions. Does it work? We're showing them a better version of themselves. We're teaching them to be nice and to smile and to give the parking spot away. 
All that stuff's great. What about discipleship? What about transformation? What about renewal of the heart and the mind and the attitude? What about having faith in a time of fear? What about being an overcomer and demonstrating power and being a light and a witness? What about that? Just a thought. You wanted it. I gave it to you. So. <laughs> I'm going to give you a confession so that I don't sound... I'm going to, so like I'll throw myself under the bus because I don't want you to think that I'm above this stuff. I'm, I'm among it. How do I know this? I was that guy. I was just telling Marcus, I said, you know, we're talking about different things that have happened with this church and things that have happened along the way. We had turnover. And one of the things we had turnover was is because I changed. I became who I really am. This is who I really am. At some point, I just go, I'm a charismatic, spirit-filled, born-again believer. It's what I am. I didn't know how to interpret it. I didn't know how to model it. I didn't know how to frame it in a way that I couldn't, that I, that I, I, I was too much of the old timey generation. And I felt like at that time I couldn't, I, it didn't apply to the modern terms. God had to show me how to reinterpret the same message, same message, same power, same kingdom, same everything, new language, new presentation, everything. It's a repurposing of the kingdom in a previous generation. The gospel's transgenerational. It doesn't apply only to the first generation. The gospel is, is, is a portable instrument. You don't need to compromise the gospel in order to translate it. It doesn't need... It, the, the, the purity of the gospel will fit very perfectly and will stand out and will be relevant to any generation. We seem to think in our generation we need to compromise the gospel or the message of the gospel or the presentation of the gospel or the summons of the gospel or the reality of the gospel. We have to compromise those things in order to be relevant. I was there. So let me confess... Pray for this pastor. <laughs> that's why I need your prayers. I need prayers, man. And I wasn't, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. And I had to come to terms with that. And I had to wrestle with that. And I had to come to that identity with the Lord. How can I speak to these things? Because I know these things. How do I know what their attitudes and their motivations is? Because I go to their conferences. And I've heard the teach stuff that the church would never know. But it's taught to the people. It's taught to the pastors. It's taught to the leaders. I told you before, they tell you, edit this, don't say that, don't say that. I, they would critique me like nobody's business. You're too loose, Kevin. You're like a loose cannon. You're all over the place. Stay on your message. Read only your notes. Do your notes. Send the people home. Slap a high five. And off they, off they go and tell them to come back next week. Well, that'd be that, I'm thinking, Look around. I, 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 look, I'm, I'm not de- look, we're not dealing here with new believers. Am I dealing with new believers here? Our church tends to be a little bit people who've been around a while, right? And are, are hungry for something different or looking for something different. That's, that's the attitude. The church is modeling this. We as an opportunity and as a community, Diane and I, were talking about building a culture here. So I'm going to talk to you about cultural things. We want to call it a culture here. What are we as a culture? How are we as a culture? How do we implement that? How do we message that? How do we create that? What do, what do we do about that? You know, we're, we're, we're not, we're, we, we're not unlike others. Not that we're better. I'm not saying anybody's better. We may be like many. Many churches may be like us. But what we're not like is we're not like the mainstream. And that doesn't mean that we're out of the mainstream. It just means that I, I, we're, not, we're not mirroring the things that are mirrored in that, in, that, in that society. You guys go to churches, don't you? You visited other churches in and out in an hour? Right? Do everything for you? Pastor leaves the stage. Don't, don't see him ever again. It's like a rock star. Ushered in, ushered off. Worship team, two minutes and 53 seconds per song. Starts on the dot, ends on the dot. Diana, don't jump around too much. I tell you to jump around more. Diana, don't share verses. Don't, don't, don't speak verses. You think I'm kidding? They have a timer. They have a clock. And if they don't keep to that clock and they don't keep to that timer and they don't do it exactly as they're told, I just talked to a big-time worship leader. This person was telling me, I think... Uh, guys know Andrew. Andrew comes here too. He's same thing. Churches he's been to, same thing. Of course, they go there, they serve, they do what they're told, but they, but that's the dynamic. I go to, that's what they tell you. They, I mean, I go there and they literally give you a playbook. Here's your ministry playbook. I'm all about a ministry playbook. I think we, I think we can benefit from that. I think best practices should be adapted and should be applied. All of this stuff should be applied, but not at the expense of authenticity. And that's one of our values. We were talking about what, what, what does our culture look like? If we were to message this to our culture, what, how do we, we, we were talking about that. And, I, and so I was pitching it to her. I'm like, what do you see? She's like, authenticity. That was one of her words. There's an authenticity here. We, we, we sacrifice authenticity. We're real people. Serving a real God, living a real life amongst each other. We're not all perfect, plastic, 
you know, everything's great. Smile. Hallelujah, brother. See you next week. We minister unto another. We care for one another. We're, we're part of each other's lives. We accept, we, just like a, we, we accept each other in light of our, our quirks, you know, our dysfunctions, our idiosyncrasies. And we all have them. <laughs> so let's stop pretending like we don't, because we do. But authenticity, and we sacrifice things at the expense of authenticity. I deal with a lot of people that come from a lot of churches, and I talk to them. And most of the Christians are just, they're just, they're just different, they're in different places. And I always have a conversation, usually when somebody comes here and they want to come be a part of Elevate, one of my conversations with them is like, look, everything is going to change for you. I said, look, you're more than welcome here. But I said, let me explain something, what you're going to go through. When you come here, you're going to feel destabilized. Because everything that was orderly for you and everything that was regimented for you and all of the expectations and whatever that culture was is not that culture here. You're going to experience something that's a little bit... I I want to use the word liberating, but I don't know if everybody perceives it that way. But thank you. Um, But it's a special Sunday. Somebody's like, pastor's going long. You know what? Say this. I got nowhere to... If you got somewhere to go, you're free to go. But I don't have anywhere to go and everything's closed. So, you know... (laughs) Let's talk about Jesus. Oh, that's right, man. That's right. Let's build culture while we're talking. So, yeah, liberating, man. And, and I, I, I explain it to him, but I, I tell him, you have to push past what you're unfamiliar with. If you're going to be here, there are things that are going to be unfamiliar. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There are going to be some things that you're unfamiliar with. There's going to be things that you're not, you're not used to, you're not connected to. But what I tell people is like, look, just go through our processes Lean into the point, be, just become a part of it, and what you're going to do, you're going to feel a part of it. Because a lot of that, that, there are certain things that aren't here because God told me not to put them here. That's the whole reason. We want to regiment. I know how to regiment. I know how to make rules. And, you know, I know how. I don't want to do it. I'll go. I'll go fishing before I'll do that. I'm not doing it. And I feel like I, I, I have that liberty to, to to create that. But that's that's one of the things that happens here. That Christians oftentimes aren't comfortable with authenticity. Because we're not used to accepting each other's weaknesses. We think that if we show weakness, we're undeveloped. Well, you're all undeveloped. There's only one who is. His name's Jesus. Get over it. You may be stronger here. I may be stronger there. I may be stronger where you're weaker. You may be weaker where I'm stronger. But we all got issues. And that's the problem. It's not authenticity to where we just share our garbage and our junk. But it's authenticity at the level of acceptance. That's what it means. It doesn't mean I need to know everything about you and you need to know everything about me. Please, you don't need to know everything about me. You really, really don't. You don't want to know. Trust me, I don't want to know everything about you. Pastor, I want to tell you a story. And half the time I'm thinking, do I want to know this or do I not want to know this? Not, not because I, I'm, I'm I, but like we, we don't, you know, there's certain things we just, we just, it just like doesn't even, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't really, we doesn't matter. You know, some things, yes. Anyway, I'm, I'm digging myself a hole, so I'll get out of it. So hopefully you understand what I'm saying. Anyway, going back. So here we go. The virus is vulnerable to some, but not to all. 65 years and older with pre-existing conditions, that's the high level of, of risk for most people. Here's the professor. Somebody said, well, what about Italy? What about Italy? Why is all those people dying in Italy? Well, why don't we get the facts on what the, what the Italians are actually saying? Stuff you won't hear. Okay? This just came out. Professor Walter Riccardi, scientific advisor to Italy's Ministry of Health. The country's mortality rate is higher due to the demographics of the nation. Italy has the second oldest population worldwide. Average age in Italy is 67 years old. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Is anybody telling you that? Are they saying, hey, you know, well, part of the problem here is Italy's average, Italy's population is 67 years old. That's the average age. I've been to Italy. I'm like, wow, I didn't know that. You know, I was like, what the heck? <laughs> they don't put those people, they don't, they don't, they must clear them out of the tourist zones because it doesn't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I've been there. I was like, I just, I don't remember that being the case. In the manner in which the hospitals record deaths. So one of the issues here is they have an exposed population. That's one of the issues. And the hospitals record deaths. On the reevaluation of the National Institute of Health, only 12% of the current death certificates. So they're reevaluating this of how many people have actually died. And of the people that they actually have said died of coronavirus, only 12% of those show direct relationship to the coronavirus. This isn't coming from anybody. This is coming from the dude that's there. And it says while 88% of the patients that died in light of coronavirus, had a pre-morbidity, had at least one pre-existing condition. Many of them had two or three. Is anybody telling you this? Nobody's telling you this. They're not telling you that 12% are directly related. 
of all of the recorded deaths that we say is coronavirus, once we reevaluate those death certificates, only 12% of them are actually directly related to coronavirus. 88% of the people that have passed away have, are, are over a certain age threshold and have at least one to three pre-existing conditions. Nobody's telling you that. Again, facts over faith over fear. Or, excuse me, facts and faith over fear. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> and here's, this is guy is Martin McKee, professor of European public health at London School of Hygiene and Topic. Again, there's this isn't a guy. They, he writes something like this. He's not going to be a guest speaker on any of these networks. They won't ask him to come on because he's not going to tell, he's not going to declare the narrative that they want to present. They're only going to put people on who will speak the narrative that they want to be said. He says, we are skeptical of the available data coming out of Europe. It's too early to make a comparison across Europe, he says. We do not have a detailed serial surveillance. In other, uh, they don't have enough information in relationship to this virus and the part current population. So they don't know what the demographics are in relationship to the virus and where this is. They don't have enough data. And he says, Italy has a high rate of smoking and pollution. The highest concentration of the deaths in Italy, again, fact, is in Lombardy, which is north of Milan. It's a heavy industrial district. I've been to Milan. I've been to Athens. I told Marcus the two, mo two most polluted areas I've ever been to, two most polluted cities I've ever been to was Athens and Milan. I mean, Milan's like, <gasps> anybody ever been there? Yeah, it's an industrial city. Most people don't, most people don't go there. My wife used, was, you know, whatever, but I've been to Milan. And Athens was the same way. Yeah, I mean, billowing black smoke everywhere in, in, in Athens. They at least have a sea breeze, so it kind of helped them. But Milan, everybody leaves the city in the, in the, on the weekends. They would all go to the coast. The city was a ghost town on the weekends because the, the, the congestion of the air. And so this, again, these are facts. Those are facts related to this. These are facts related to faith. Here's one. This is going to pass. This is a faith fact. This is going to pass. 33 national and international crises in the last 20 years. There's been 33 of them in the last 20 years. Dear friends, don't be surprised or shocked when you go through painful trials and fiery tests. It's going to happen. It shouldn't shock us. What we need to do is position ourselves better. We need to check ourselves. Good God. It's the church's shining hour. <laughs> and we're looking for cover. We should stand. We should, you know, and this is, pray, man. What can we do? What's realistic? What's the ways that, what can we position our church to do? As you even said, man, I'd like to be in a position where we could actually help people. You know, we're like, look, if you don't need toilet paper, we got some. You need, you need hand wipes, we got some. You need some pasta and pasta sauce, we got some. Maybe we can't handle it, maybe we can't handle 10,000 people or even 1,000, but can we do, I asked the question, can we do 100? Can we do 10? Can we do five? Can we do one? One of the things that limits us with our facilities, we're not able to store or distribute things of that nature. Some of you need to believe God that God's going to give us a building. I'm serious. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to release the mantle right now. Some of you need to take up the mantle and you need to say, I will be the intercessor that prays this building into being. Who will do it? Who? Who? Come on. Believe God for the community, for the church, that he will reposition us. He will re... Charmaine gave a word. Are we you guys still with me? Okay. Second service is a little more family time, you know? Everybody that kind of comes and guests the church, they kind of guest out at 10 o'clock, so it's a little... But 10, 12.30, 12.10s, like everybody's like, oh, you know. Anyway, sorry. Charmaine gave a word, and she gave it to uh, Diana. And I said, who gave you that word? I said, that was a good word. And she said, Charmaine gave me that word. So I, I had Charmaine say it, and she said the Lord was telling her the warehouses where things that are special and treasured are keeping, are keeping, being kept. And the Lord is saying that he's kept us here and he's been holding us because we're special and we're treasured. It's not that we're forgotten. It's that we're being stored up for something. We're being stored for something. Oh, come on. Give me a come on. Yeah. And I believe that Jesus is getting ready to distribute from the warehouse. <laughs> I believe he's making a turn. And for the last four or five years, every time I would pray, every time I would pray, it would be something to the effect that the Lord would say, stay hidden, stay hidden. Don't do that. Don't do that. And it makes no sense. It would make no sense. But I believe he's doing an internal formation. And you are all part of that internal formation. You are part of that culture. You're part of what we're doing. What God is forming here is forming. We don't know what we're doing, but we're figuring it out. That's the, that's the goal. Okay? We're not going to pretend like we got it all figured out because we don't. We got some things figured out, but we don't have everything figured out. Right? 
And you're part of that solution. You're part of where we're going. You're part of what we're doing. And in doing that, what will happen is God is going to form, he's for, I believe he's forming us internally so that we will be able to sustain the influence that he gives us. Whether the influence is within the city or whether the influence is within the nations, God will give us influence. He has promised it. And I believe that the influence has to be sustained and established by the internal structures. And those internal structures are the people. People that are trustworthy. People that are loyal. People that, that will believe in, 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 in the vision that God has put forth. It's not a personal agenda. It's not a private thing that people want to do or a, a vehicle. It's part of being a part of something. Some of you feel called to ministry. Well, I got a word for you. You will never be entrusted with what is not your own until you are faithful in what someone else's. I learned that lesson long ago. I had to serve when I didn't want to serve. I had to give when I didn't want to give. I had to be where I didn't want to be. And the Lord told me, you want what's your own? Then, do, do, then you must serve another in spite of how you feel. And there's nobody questioning calling here. You have a calling. But you're called to be, God will, will prove you out in servitude. If you will not serve, then you cannot, if you cannot prove the fact that you can follow, you will never lead. You have to prove out the ability to follow. And you know when that's going to be proved out? It's going to hit you at your pride. <laughs> when you don't want to, when you don't agree, when you don't like it. True. I would just salute. Take my orders and do my job. Some of the vulnerable, but not all. It's important. Skeptical of the data, this will pass. Dear friends, don't be surprised. The earth suffers, this is a good one. The earth suffers for its sins of its people. For they have twisted the instruction of the Lord. They have violated his laws. This was the basis of my prayer. And they have broken his covenant. Breaking the laws, oaths, laws, bud, binding, devils, all of this. It's right there. The devil's not there, but... It's inferred. Therefore, the earth is broken. Why is the earth broken? Because of the sins of the people. Why is the earth broken? Because they have twisted the instructions of the Lord. Why is the earth broken? Because they have violated his laws and broken his covenant. It tells us why. Therefore, the earth is broken down and is utterly collapsing. If I put it in present terms. Everything is lost, abandoned, and confused. Right? Laws, that's what the Lord was telling me. Laws that were enacted willfully in willful deception, knowing that it was wrong, but willfully doing it, causing great cost. Devil, not, people not knowing what they're doing, but the devil knowing exactly what they're doing. The devil knows exactly that if he can get them to partner with deceit and shed innocent blood, he can bind that right before heaven and claim it eternally. Courts of heaven, people. This is what's going on. And all he'll do, because it's hidden in blood, is you'll see the after effects of something that's hidden in blood. And the church will waste its time and run like people beating the air, praying against something that won't break. And we won't know why it won't break because it's hidden in blood. Just a thought. Deeper things. Deeper understanding. Deeper spiritual things. Deeper things. I believe this. Everybody say the word nexus. Well, it's going to be transferred. I truly believe this. I truly do. The economy is, the world's economy is funneling down. Can we, do you understand what's happening? But what's going to happen is that that economy is going to reach a nexus point. It's going to reach a crossing point, And that crossing point is going to explode out the other side. Wealth is going to be transferred. That wealth is not going to disappear. A billion dollars isn't going to evaporate into thin air. A billion dollars will evaporate from this company, but it will find its way in this company. You understand that? It isn't just going to go into the magical thin air. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. There's a transfer point that's happening and coming. This is, again, an opportunity. This depends on people like, the sky is falling, the world is ending, the sky is falling, the world is ending. No, it's not. If there's a temple in Jerusalem and there's an antichrist roaming the earth, I might give you, I might give you that. But until there's a temple in Jerusalem, hope abides. Grace abides. Hope has not been withdrawn from the earth. Nor is spiritual power moving in love. So grace and hope are still here. <laughs> Some of you need to believe for genius. Genius. You know where genius comes from? Jesus. Jesus' genius. You have access to genius. The mind of the Lord. God will give you clarity. He will give you ideas. He will give you understanding. He will give you insight in a time. And he will show you genius things to do at this time. 
that the wealth will be transferred. And you need to believe God that I want to be a person in the transfer point and obtain the transference of those things. And you know what he's going to ask you? He's going to ask you why. That's the unspoken question. You have to make your motivation clear. Don't just ask for selfish purposes. Those prayers, the Bible says, go unanswered. What are you believing God for? Why are you going to do it? And I'm going to tell you, if you believe God for it and he begins to move on it, he's going to hold you to your word. (laughs) But I'm telling you to believe God for it. Genius. Some of you, what's going to happen is that genius moment is going to require you to change. You're going to be in a place, in a position, and God's going to show you this is a moment of opportunity. This is a moment of transfer. This is a moment of change. But you're going to have to change. You have to change the way you think. You're going to have to change the way you position yourself. But God will show you insight and opportunities. He'll reveal it to you. I know it. We're going to look back on this period of history, and you're going to see the greatest transfer of wealth happened in this. Is there, is there any? Come on. Yeah, we can give God glory. You're going to look back on this in 10 years, and you're going to realize that was a moment in time. That was a moment in time, and I was not ready for it. I used to do investing, real estate, used to do all this stuff, buying and selling houses, all that stuff. That was before, long ago. And we used to have a saying. I had a banker friend of mine tell me, Kevin, there's no such thing as luck. The guy's vice president of a major bank, looks at me and goes, I said, man, that guy got lucky, he got that house. He said, there's no such thing as luck. He said, it's called being ready. Wise words. I've, I've, I've quoted that for 10 years. No such thing as luck, Kevin. It's called being ready. You have to get yourself ready. Opportunities can come by you. You can have the opportunity of a lifetime, but if you're not ready to seize upon it, that opportunity will move right by you. And you'll go by and the next guy will claim it and you'll go, oh, he got lucky. No, he was ready. He was positioned to take advantage of this. You have to ask the Lord how you can position yourself. And then you need to not be stupid. Do what he tells you. He's going to tell you. Engage the Holy Spirit. Engage the mind of Christ. You hear his voice. Ask him lots of questions. Jesus likes questions. I'm telling you. And if you don't hear him, then ask him another question. You're either asking him the wrong question, a question he doesn't want to answer, or you're asking with the wrong motivation. I ask God questions in three different forms. <laughs> I throw it out there. Sometimes I know exactly the question to ask him. Other times I don't. And so I ask him down three or four different lanes. And he'll answer me off of a lane that I wasn't expecting. I'm thinking he's going to answer this question, but he didn't. He answered me this one. And so when he answers me off that lane, then I begin to pursue that line of questioning and I take it further until I reach a point of instruction. And then when I want you, most Christians never even reach the point of instruction because they can't even get there. You can't even do simple things. Why is God going to give you instructions? Because if you're at a point where he's going to give you instructions and you're not reading your Bible, praying, committing, connect to church, financially giving, you know what he's going to instruct you with? That. That's why faithfulness in those five arenas is necessary for advancement. If you're not literate, biblically literate, reading your Bible, praying, committed and connected to a church, financially giving and living a life that reflects the gospel and calls others unto him, living on mission, anything you ask him, he's going to redirect you back to that point. Back to that point. And Christians goes, well, I'm tired of him telling me to read, your, read my Bible. I'm just tired. Every time I ask him, he tells me to read my Bible. I'm just tired. I'm just tired of him every time I ask him and I ask the Lord for a question, he just tells me to pray. I'm just tired. Because you're a juvenile, you're unmature, you don't know remedial math, you're asking him to show you how to launch a rocket, and you can't do one plus one equals two. You don't even know. So that's why these that's why the basics of discipleship is so necessary. Because it's necessary for further instruction. It's not necessary because God wants us all walking around like circus monkeys doing the same thing. That's a basic function of the kingdom. That's the radical five. It's a radical minimum standard. It's a standard that applies to all believers. So when you go to him and you say, Lord, da, 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 and then he tells you something and then he goes, and then you go, okay, Lord, that sounds great. What's my instruction? And he goes, read your Bible. Or he says to you, commit and connect to church. Or he says to you, financially give. If you're doing those things, now he can give you an advanced instruction. But if you can't do those things, he's not giving you an advanced instructions. And you can write that down. Write it down. I'm telling you how this stuff works. This is how the kingdom operates you're faithful with the little things, then I can give you more. But if you can't be faithful in the basics, Kevin, if you don't know your primary colors, and I tell you to paint me a sunset, and you don't even know, I say, Kevin, paint a yellow sunset, and you don't understand what yellow is, how am I going to instruct you? How am I going to tell you? How am I going to entrust you with wealth when you haven't proven yourself faithful with the little? 
How am I going to entrust you with influence when you yourself cannot even sit in a house and sit under influence? How am I going to entrust you with responsibility when you cannot even take up the responsibility to do the very basic things that I've told you to do? Yet that's what we're in. He has no problem with you asking him for that. He wants you to ask him for that. He wants you to believe him for that. But go back and do the first things. Do the first things. Then go forward. It's a nexus point of wealth transfer, Christian. I'm telling you now. We're going to look back on it. Why? Isn't it interesting? We're coming into the decade. I thought about this. In the 2020, we're coming into a vision decade. And the devil is trying to rattle the vision. He's trying to not just rattle the vision of the globe. He's rattling the vision of the church. Oh, my gosh. Not me. I don't know what the nexus point is, but we're going to seize upon it. I don't know. We're going to find it. But most, some of you are in business. I'm not in that world so much anymore. The financial transfers lie in the business realm, right? We'll experience transference in the spiritual realm and certain things like that as a church, hopefully in the financial realm. But it's for me, you know, when I look at it, I look at it more in light of the people that are here and they're engaged in business or some sort of commerce or exchange. Somebody's, their nexus point may be this. You're, you're working a job that makes this much money. This transference of wealth is going to create a tremendous opportunity and the job market's going to be in such demand that you're going to get a 30, 40, or 50% raise. But that means I've got to leave where I've been. I've got to stay where I'm at. Others of you, you're in a specific industry and it's going to pivot and there's going to be job opportunities and there's going to be cultural opportunities in an area that's similar to yours but not exactly and it's going to require you to pivot your business in order to take advantage of those opportunities. Are you willing to do it? You have to recognize that. If you ask the Lord for the nexus, He's going to show you the nexus. And when you feel that opportunity, don't freak out. Don't panic. Just ask him, Lord, is this the nexus? Is this a nexus moment? He's going to say, yep. And you're going to ask him, what do you want me to do? I want you to take advantage of that. Then you're going to go, how do I take advantage of that? What are my steps? You have to engage the spirit. I asked Charmaine, I said, what's the message of this church, Charmaine? I said, if you hear me say one thing, she said, ask the Holy Spirit. And I said, bingo. Bingo. That is a theme. All right, moving on. Christians need to wake up, live from eternity. The night's far spent. Corona evangelists, man, stop that crap. Get over it. Move on. Read your Bible. Proclaim the kingdom. Refocus on what matters. Our temporary troubles will not last. They're achieving for us an eternal weight of glory. This time of pressure is showing you where your faith is. Did you know that? Pressure tests faith. Are you going to believe lies or are you going to believe truth? Are you going to lean in or are you going to lean away? Are you going to be a parrot of the culture or are you going to be a herald of the kingdom? Where are you going to be? Key to stability is focus on eternal truths. What's that truth? Jesus knows. He cares. He cares. Jesus has called you with a purpose. You're not of this world. We're a people of hope, not fear. We're a people of life, not death. We're a people of strength, not weaknesses. And we are without a doubt not partners to the spirit of the age. Spirit of the age. I'm not saying not be wise. I'm not saying not make decisions. But like we have to find undiluted facts and make our decisions off undiluted facts. I don't want somebody diluting facts. I don't want people. I've been around too long, man. You know, like my son's like having a freak out. And I'm like, dude, you're reading the wrong information. I'm like, where are you getting your data? Instagram, you know, Snapchat, somebody, you know, I mean, where, where are you getting this data? The data, the, you got to get the data. Jesus will take care of his people, Christian. We win. You will go through deep waters, the Lord says. That right? There's your verse. I will be with you. You will pass through the rivers of difficulty. You will not drown. Who told you you were going to drown? Seriously. Who told you this was going to financially drown you? Who told you this was going to... Does your Bible say that? Does the Lord say you will go through the waters and you will drown financially? Does it say that? It doesn't say that. You will go through the deep waters. I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire, you and this is going to burn everything up. My whole life's going to be consumed. Who told you that? Jesus isn't telling you that. It will not consume you. How do we know? Because he told us. And we know that all things work to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Without a doubt, this is going to be the greatest advantage you've ever had. If you'll partner with Christ and not the culture... If you listen to Jesus and not the culture, lots of things. We often suffer, but we've never, we're never crushed. 
<laughs> like I have a word for Hadassah, but I'm not going to say it to you now. I feel like you're going to open a few salons. No, I'm serious. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you're going to get like an empowerment grant of some kind. You're going to get some co- sort of uh, woman's thing. And I see you like opening two or three salons. I'm not telling you to do that like, oh, I'm going to open three at a time. Pastor Kevin said, oh, open three at a time. But I feel like God will open for you a chain of opportunities. That's really what I'm seeing. And a chain of, do you work for, do you own your salon? You own everything's in there. I feel like God's going to give you another opportunity. I, I feel that. No, I'm serious. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I just, anyway, so squirrel, uh, sorry. We often suffer, but we're never crushed. Even when we don't know what to do, we never give up. In times of trouble, God is with us. When we are knocked down, we get up because we know that Jesus, raised, that Jesus was raised back to life. Just as he raised Jesus, he's also going to raise you up. No matter what happens, you win. We carry the spirit of resurrection. There's nothing that is lost that cannot be regained. There's nothing that is dead that cannot be brought back to life. What power do we carry? We say Holy Spirit power. It's, there's another word for it. It's resurrection power. Huh. We carry regenerating power. We carry Genesis power. We create creative power. We call an ability to call what is not as though it were. We carry an ability to bring life into dead things. Life into dead things. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. Jesus wants to use you in this crisis. This is important. Every pain, every need, every hang-up, every hopelessness, every freak-out is an opportunity. We are called to outshine the darkness. So I just challenge you, respond in hope. Respond in courage. Reflect Jesus in this hour. I got more people telling me what Dr. Phil says or Dr. Oz says. Why don't you tell me what Jesus says? Because can you, you want to tell me what Dr. So-and-so is saying? Then tell me what Jesus is saying, Christian. You want to lecture me on these things? Then lecture me on the things that relate to the kingdom. And then we can have a conversation. I listen to, I, I mean, I, just, I listen to the Lord. That's, that's it. My wife knows. I mean, she knows. <laughs> might take me a little while to make the turn because I haven't heard from the Lord. I'm not making impulsive decisions. I will hear from the Lord. You know why? Because I've learned the hard way. <laughs> How was that idea, Kevin? Horrible. <laughs> Didn't work out at all. <laughs> Still think you know stuff? I don't know anything, Lord. You're the only idea I have. Respond in hope. Respond in perspective. Have a balanced perspective in these times of fear. Respond in faith. Genius, genius can be born out of this time, Christian. I'm telling you, there's a word on that genius. I feel it when I say it. There's somebody you need to begin to believe God. You need to write it down. You need to get in your car. You need to say it right now. Lord, I'm believing you for genius. You need to take the next, you got nothing to do for the next two weeks anyway. You need to take, the, you need to take your time and you need to press into genius. You need to get revelation on genius. You need to get an understanding of genius. How do we care for each other? If you got extra stuff, share it. Call each other. Check in on each other. You know? If you know people that are vulnerable, check in with them. If you got an extra roll of toilet paper, hey, share it. There's a revelation. You know? I don't know, I don't know where toilet paper rapture. That's what I call it. It's like, it's like, wow, left behind. Is there any rolls left behind? I don't know. <laughs> We're all going to be cutting up t-shirts soon, I guess. You know? I don't know. Then they'll, then they'll all be sold out of t-shirts. You know, I don't know. How to care for each other. <laughs> Remember people, reach out to them. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Fear not, Christian. Fear not. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy a good life and health and that all may we go well. Pray for our government. Pray for our government. Pray for our government. That there would be wisdom. There's a lot of division. There's a lot of calamities. There are people that don't want this country to succeed. They don't. They're looking, to, they're looking to shift this country away from certain things. They are. I'm serious. Pray for our government. That God's will. If you don't know what to pray for our government, Lord, I just release your will into our government. If you don't know what to pray, Lord, I just release your wisdom into our government. That's enough. Just partner with the belief. You don't need to get an articulate prayer if you don't have one. Just release. It's, Lord, we just agree for our government. We release wisdom into our government. We pray for our governmental leaders. We pray, Father. We release wisdom to them. We release a common core consensus. We release a voice and a message of hope and not of fear, of restoration, of courage. And that you would silence all voices of opposition, all demonic voices, all spirits of deceit. 
I prophesy, and I'm on a prophetic day today. I don't know. I I believe that God's going to change the narrative. I believe that prayer is so sufficient that within the coming days, the story of this virus is going to completely change. And the truth is going to start coming out because deceit has covered it. And all of a sudden, the spirit of deceit, we lift from the land and truth will come. And the message of truth will come forth. And the whole narrative of this this is going to pivot. I believe the whole storyline is going to pivot. I believe that that spirit itself is going to lift. It's going to be gone. Amen? All right. Love you. Bless you. A little long, but all right. You got nowhere to go, like I said. (laughs) Except go out on a quest for toilet paper. Let me bless you. I thank you so much. You're very faithful people. I'm very honored to lead this church. I am. I am. Very honored. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, we just thank you so much. For J- Jody has a special song for you guys. She gives you a bonus song. But I'm going to bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May he be gracious to you in every way. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. We have prayer available if you need it. We're going to sing another song in honor of the Lord.